Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everybody, to the Alt Left. This is episode 24. With me, as always, Matthew Jumbo Johnson. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good night. How is everyone doing today? And the Reverend Dr. K. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about immigration. It's something we've been wanting to tackle for a while. I know there's some other pressing issues going on in the world this week. We will be tackling those eventually, but uh, we wanted to talk about this topic. It is something that is not going away. It's an issue that America has struggled with back and forth on the left and the right for well over a century. And it's time it got spoken about uh, on this podcast. Absolutely. Especially since um, my favorite person that I love to hate, Ted fucking Cruz, seems to have a boner for it lately. That's all he talks or tweets about. I mean, I don't know. We've just gone through four years of a Trump administration where they never shut up about immigration. And and this isn't even an American problem. I mean, this, this anti-immigrant, anti-refugee sentiment has been sweeping the world for the last few years. I mean, that's, Brexit was really about that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are now having, you know, remorse over voting for Brexit. Good. Fuck off. But it, it was basic racism. It was, oh, there's too many Muslims around here. We should leave the European Union. That's all that was. It was absolutely race baiting. And people fell for it. And good. F them. I hope they hurt. Yeah. There's there should be consequences for falling for fascist tropes. And that's one of them. Yeah. But speaking of fascist tropes, we're talking about America. <laughs> we got a fair amount of that here. <laughs> so, um, you know, according to Pew right now, the U.S. has more immigrants than any other country in the world. And it has been for quite a while. Today, more than 40 million people living in the U.S. were born in another country, uh, which is about one fifth of the world's migrants are here in the United States. And this is, yep. again. This is people who were born not in the United States who now live in the United States, regardless of documentation status. And we're not talking about the children of immigrants, people born somewhere else who now live here. And contrary to what you might hear from the right, the vast majority of them are here legally. And contrary to what you might hear from liberals, no human being is illegal. Um, there's also some other stats that come from uh, Pure Research and from MPI, which is the Migration Policy Institute. Uh, they're really good if you haven't looked them up. Uh, they're a really good source for info on this one. Uh, they're a non-political global think tank, uh, and all they do is immigration and refugee stats. Yeah, I actually referenced a couple of their things when I was researching yeah. for this yeah. podcast MPI, as well. MPI is good. They're new. They've only been around for like, you know, 20 years or whatever. They're not, you know, they've only been around in the 21st century. But I like them because they hold no national boundaries. They have no agenda other than having correct and adequate stats for migration. And so according to them, in 1970, 4.7% of the U.S. population were migrants. Uh, flash forward to 2019, which is the latest date for really good conclusive numbers, 13.7% uh, of the U.S. population. And that's 44.9 million migrants in the United States. Between 1860 and 1920, the immigrant share of the population fluctuated between 13% and almost 15. Uh, and it peaked at 14.8, to be specific. In 1890. Uh, and that was mostly from, you know, huge amounts of immigration from Europe. Uh, restrictive immigration laws in 21 and 24 kept immigration almost exclusively to northern and western Europeans. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. You know, things about like the, the Bracera program and the Chinese Exclusion Act. There, we, we made sure in the, uh, the early 20th century and the late 19th century to make sure that only whiteies got in. 
And then once you combine that with the Great Depression, World War II, suddenly there was a sharp drop in new arrivals from the eastern half of the world. Uh, the foreign-born share steadily declined, hitting a record low here of 4.7%, uh, which is 9.6 million people in 1970. And now of the country, now if we're going to talk about who is here as a migrant, the other thing to know is that you know the, the top five countries of birth for immigrants in the U.S. in 2018 goes down a, a very sharp curve. Mexico is the number one. 25% of immigrants were born in Mexico. Okay, that's 11.2 million people. China comes in way down low at number two uh, with 6% of the immigrant population at 2.9 million. Uh, India is right on their heels at number three with 6% of the population at 2.6 million. Philippines, 2 million at 4%. And El Salvador is 1.4 million at 3%. Now, obviously, after that is like Honduras and, and Somalia and Ethiopia. Like, there's, there's several countries that fill out the next few numbers. But those are the top five. And obviously, a big portion of what we're going to talk today is clearly immigration coming from south of the border. Uh, it's where most of our immigration is coming from. And it's the immigration that everyone cares about, because I can't remember the last time I saw a representative, a senator or a president bitching about the Iceland people coming over here. No, like I, I never the president get up in the pulpit and be like, fucking Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> Those Australians. Right. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't just, happen. I'm just knee deep in Norwegians. It's like there's <laughs> fucking meatballs everywhere. Yeah, no, that's not happening. There is there's definitely a racial element to the amount of bitching and whining from those in power. But, 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 but Chris, um, that's just because the vast majority of immigrants are coming from Mexico. Clearly, it has nothing to do with race. They're just focused on the biggest part of the problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's that is the excuse that has been used throughout time. Uh, whoever the large immigrant population is, that's who gets screwed. Uh, that is who it is now. It is Mexican immigration. That's who it was during the Bracero program, who we'd like to shit on. At one point in time, Chinese was the number one immigration in this country. And of course, that's where we had laws and hate for them and violence. And at one point, it was the Irish and the Italians, uh, which were also discriminated against much less harshly because their skin happens to have a lot less melanin, but still heavily discriminated against and shit on by the nation at large. And so most of the time, this hatred was obviously we know is racist. It's coming from they look, speak, smell, eat different food, different than me, worship a different God, whatever. But that's not the main reason people give. The usual reason is that we're being inundated and overrun by these people who are different. Yeah. And, and it's all horseshit. It's all horseshit. And one of the things in particular that I wanted to focus in on this is kind of going through the uh, the top tier list of bullshit claims that you'll typically hear from right wingers and not even just right wingers. Pretty much anyone that has an issue with immigration in general will tout one of these myths as a justification for their bullshit views. Now, now I don't have a problem believing for one second that none of them actually believe this shit either. I think it's just a cover because they're scared of the brown people. But let's go through it. The first one I think Chris was touching on earlier, which is that immigrants are overrunning our country and most are here. Now, anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows that's absolute horseshit. Uh, Chris, you were saying, I think that you mentioned that the peak of immigration was some, or the the lowest peak point of immigration was something at like uh, 4.5% in 1970. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, this is according to MPI and Pew. Uh, it was 4.7% in 70. And that's as a percentage of population, right? Yes, correct. 4.7% cool. of the population was migrant. So as of 2016, 
that number is at 3.5%. Now, I will grant you there was a spike, and there was a, a consistent spike until about 2008, where it was about 13.5%, which, to be fair, is normal. That's about the average of what we get is about, you know, anywhere between 12 and 15%. And I want all of our listeners to keep those numbers Matt just said in mind for when I talk about some history and put you to sleep later. Those dates are important. And so statistically speaking, we are seeing record low numbers as a percentage of population. Are people seeing immigrants a lot more? Yes, but our population is also growing. There's more people in the world. That's a natural thing. But as a percentage, we're not really seeing anything significant. It's pretty much keeping track with where it's always been, which is what you would expect to see. Now, as far as illegally, the vast, vast majority of people that have immigrated here have lived here for 15 years or more. And about 76% of them are here with lawful status. Let's say that. Um, that means only about 15% of the people that are, that are immigrants here are here under what you would call illegal terms. Uh, like Chris said earlier, I don't think any of us believe that any, any human is illegal. But they came here through other than uh, standard channels. Let's say that. You mean like the pilgrims? Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> So keep that in mind. This is one of the biggest ones is that they're overrunning our country. And no, they're really not. And it's such a horseshit argument. And it's why it's one of the first ones I wanted to tackle. There is no evidence to back this up any way, shape or form. We're at the lowest per population size of immigration that we've ever been. And the vast, vast majority of those people are here legally. And the ones that aren't, and we'll get into this later, are just here to do a job. All right. Which bring me, brings me to the next one. Immigrants bring crime and violence to our city towns. Um, you get, you've got people like uh, Cheeto Trump that are going to say things like, oh, they're bringing rapists and killers over. And again, that's horseshit. Statistically speaking, immigrant populations have far lower instances of crime in their communities than the average white communities. Across the board. Across the board, yeah. More than that, as we've seen population spikes here and there throughout the, throughout the last, I want to say, 50 years or so. Crime in this country has, has continuously gone down, and there's no point has there ever been a spike in crime rates that has coincided with a spike in immigration in this country. Not once, ever. It doesn't happen. In fact, uh, most countries, like California, for instance, that uh, have higher flows of immigration, that have higher flows of immigrants, typically have lower rates of crime in general. This idea that... Uh, you know, immigrants are just here to rape and murder everyone. Again, it's fear-mongering horseshit. And the reason people buy it is because they were already racist to begin with. That it's it's simple as that. There is no evidence to support this. A big white dog whistler got the office of president, said it was true, and everyone was just like, this makes me feel good about my racism. I'm going to harp on that. And that's how it's been the entire time. It's not even, I would love to say it's all Trump's fault. But he is the latest in a long line of white nationalist dog whistling presidents. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to try and claim that Trump is the cause of this. What he is the cause of is making everyone that was in the closet about this racist bullshit feel OK about coming out with it. All of these arguments that they use all have a nugget of truth in terms of. I knew the Swedes were overpopulating us. That Absolutely. They totally are. No, but cheap furniture and meatballs everywhere in terms of, uh, you know, laying all of the troubles of uh, immigration at the feet of the Mexicans, because because 25 percent of them 
uh, of our immigration or of our immigrants come from Mexico. So they they use that divisive language to make a point that isn't necessarily true with that nugget of truth, nugget of fact, I should say. We were saying something similar to this about the uh, uh, people worried about blood clots with a vaccine, but it's the same kind of thinking. It's this, uh, when you look at any population, you're going to find an element of crime, right? They'll cite numbers of crime rates in in immigrant uh, communities as if they're these high, like ridiculous things. And oftentimes what they're doing is skewing numbers by, by equating anyone that's been arrested or had an encounter with law as somebody that's broken the law or guilty of a crime. And so they'll try to inflate the numbers. And even when they do that, largely, when you compare it to like white neighborhoods, it doesn't even come close to the amount of crime, the, the uh, rate of crime that is uh, present in those communities. It, it, it's insane. Yeah, it's like saying that that immigrants get arrested 20% of the time. It's like, well, whites get arrested 40% of the time. They don't give you all of the information. They give you a nugget of truth to to give you a number, but they don't give you the whole truth. Again, science backs this up. There's actually been a lot of sociological studies about this kind of thing. God, there's a very famous one called like, like the Saints and the Roughnecks, I think was the name of it. It literally followed two gangs of hoodlums. One was a prominent white group and one was a, uh, a poorer mixed group. And they actually found that uh, the white boys caused slightly more destruction and did the same, if not slightly more amounts of crime. But it was that the white boys had an easier time owning cars and getting out of town to do it. And they were better at covering their tracks and the police let them off the hook more. And so literally one group was seen as upstanding citizens and the other were actually constantly harassed out of town based solely on that reputation, even though they did the exact same thing. I mean, this is this is these studies have been repeated over and over again in this country. We can talk to our blue in the face that immigrant communities simply create less crime. And yet this this zombie myth that will not die, that they're here and sending in criminals to come and murder your dog in a burrito. It, it, it never ends, regardless of how untrue it is. That unsinkable rubber ducky. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Getting past even the small elements of crime in there, we got to go back to the to most immigrants when they come here. Like one of the big, the next big one is that they're taking our jobs, and they don't pay taxes. <laughs> really, not the case. That's a common thing that that you know mostly white right wingers will throw out there. Well, these these people are taking my jobs, and every right winger I've ever talked to always has some anecdotal story about how some douchey friend of theirs got fired because they wanted to hire in some brown guy. And when you press them on any of it, you usually find out that the douchey friend that got fired wasn't this upstanding model Boy Scout. He was a douchebag doing drugs and they fired his ass. And the person that applied for the job happened to be brown and was good at it. That was the story. But the brown man stole my job. Exactly. And again, if your job is being taken away and given to cheap immigrant labor, uh, the enemy is your boss, not the labor. Yeah. But here's the thing. The opposite of what they think is true. Immigrants actually help create new jobs. Not only that, they buy because they buy more product. They add to the... Uh, they add to the economy. Well, they add to the pool of people that are consuming. They're yeah. consumers just like us. More people consuming equals more profits for big companies. Not that I like necessarily like that that's the way things work here, but it is. It's a fact. They help create jobs. They often start their own businesses. There's all kinds of influx of new, like whether it be cooking food, bringing in you know crafts from their countries, things like that. 
And companies that are owned by immigrants are actually more likely to hire employees than companies owned by native-born citizens because they want to grow. They want to give jobs. They want to give opportunities because most of them come to this country with the idea that that's what you do. You have to be in this country for a few generations to realize, no, most people that do that just want to hoard wealth. Yes. Yeah. They really do come here for the American dream. They come here for that opportunity that they've always been promised. Yeah. Even though that dream doesn't always exist, they still come here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because they believe that it exists. That's why they come. It it exists for them. Yeah. And states with larger immigrant numbers generally have lower unemployment rates for everyone across the board. That includes white people as well. And then the next thing, of course, that leads into taxes. You know, immigrants collectively pay between 90 and 140 billion in taxes each year. Um, And one of the recent studies, I think this was also done by Pew, and undocumented immigrants alone pay about $11.64 billion in taxes each year. That's undocumented alone. Okay. It, those are insane numbers of taxes being provided. And people will say, well, you know, they, if you're working under the table, you don't have to pay taxes. Well, I mean, kind of, but that's not really true. Everyone has to pay property taxes, sales taxes. They buy and rent. You know, they have households. They file income tax. A lot of them file income tax returns, whether they've got fake papers or what, like they pay taxes and almost always will reap none of the benefits. From what I understand, oftentimes businesses uh, will require their workers to have social security numbers. And so people will provide them, even though they're not their social security number. And there will be people that that have incomes of like $400,000 a year, or that social security number will, that no one actually files any uh, tax return on. So those taxes are just kept. Yeah. The person earning that wage is never getting any of that money back because they've provided that uh, illegitimate social security number for themselves so that they can work. And because they are just paying in and never taking out, the next myth about them just coming in to be here on welfare and basically abusing all of our other benefits, that's a flat out myth. More often than not, they avoid any kind of welfare system because they're scared to death that it's going to get them caught. They'll avoid going to the hospital. They'll avoid calling police because they're more afraid of the police coming and deporting them than they are willing to involve the police to solve a crime that's been committed against them. Correct. It's actually quite sad and horrible when you really get down to it. Most studies show that on average, immigrants pay more in taxes than they receive in benefits, meaning as a net paying in versus taking out. It's less, okay? With very few exceptions, such as like access to medical care for, you know, and victims for human trafficking. But even then the numbers get a little weird because a lot of this stuff involves like self-reporting, which most of them are not inclined to do. Undocumented immigrants are simply not eligible for programs like Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, food stamps. In addition to that, most immigrants with lawful status aren't entitled to these benefits until they've been in the country for five years or more. So a lot of immigrants that are living here today aren't reaping any of these benefits, and even lawful ones are paying into a system that they're not getting anything back out of just yet. Yeah. Well, here in the United States, we just had our uh, our census back in 2020. They had a huge campaign that, that went on specifically here in California, because I remember seeing it, where they we're trying to impress upon people that we don't care what your status is. We don't care whether you are undocumented immigrant 
whether you're a citizen or what. We just want to know how many people there are because those censuses are how we determine where the resources that are needed need to go. And a lot of times they simply won't report because they think that if they do, that something bad is going to happen to them. And it's it's just another example of that same thing of like the expenditure that they put out and the, the things that they get back in return. You're right, Kay. You're absolutely right. So moving on, the next myth I, I see mostly touted by uh, congressional leaders, which is what makes me the saddest, uh, because there's absolutely no truth to it, is that terrorists are infiltrating the U.S. by coming across the border with Mexico. <laughs> We've got to stop those terrorists. There is no, and I repeat, no credible ed- evidence to suggest any U.S. terrorist has ever attempted or succeeded, much less succeeded, to cross the border through Mexico. There's a, a report that was released by the U.S. Department State Bureau of Counterterrorism in 2017 that counterterrorism cooperation between Mexico and U.S. governments remains strong. There's no known international terrorist organizations operating in Mexico. No evidence that any terrorist group has ever targeted U.S. citizens in Mexican territory. And no credible information that any member of a terrorist group has traveled through Mexico to gain access to the United States. In fact, the vast majority of U.S. residents linked to terrorists since 2002 are U.S. citizens. What this part explicitly states until you go in there, most of them are white. Like I had to dive super into the actual report to find that out. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm going to say it right now. If you ever hear anybody telling you that we have to secure our borders to protect from terrorists, that person is full of horseshit and you should stop being friends with them. You don't need that kind of stupid in your life. Sorry, I'm getting a little heated, guys. Bring it back down. Bring it back down. All right. That's okay. Let's just think about like the 9-11 attacks on New York, right? There were, I don't know, two, four, five or so people that uh, perpetrated those. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They were all here legally. Yeah. All of them. That actually is is leads me into the next one is that the majority, about 25%, are coming across the U.S. border, but that's encompassing all, whether it be legal or illegal or lawful or unlawful, whatever term you want to use. That's just talking about people that are coming in this country that are Mexican-born. Overall, the biggest way that people get into this country, whether it be legal or illegal, through lawful methods, like Kay was saying, they will get a tourist visa. They will get a, a travel visa. Whatever the quickest way to gain access to the country is, they will do that, and then they will simply not leave. That is the number one way they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, student visa, tourist visa, whatever have you. You know, those guys, I think, were here on student visas, weren't they? I think some of them were here on student. I think there was student and work visas, and like one of them was expired. I mean, this is off the top of my head, but yeah, they, yeah. they were all here on visas. They all got here legally. I think some of them had been expired. The point is, is that some of them had driver's licenses. Some of them, I mean, they were all here here legally they all went through some sort of visa process flew into the united states and then moved wherever they were supposed to move and did whatever they were supposed to do and then perpetrated these things but that is how people get here that is how immigrants come to this country they come here legally their visa expire you know their their student visa expires after they graduate college and they never go home They just stay here. And then eventually they try to become citizens or extend their visa. Like they do a lot of, a lot of different things. 
and to that, I would also say to the people who complain about that. So what if we're going to talk about things like 9-11 hijackers, that kind of thing. Terrorism in the U.S. is predominantly done by native born white people. Yeah. Timothy McVeigh had no problem destroying the federal building in Oklahoma. The Unabomber terrorized our media sources for, what, a decade? I don't even remember how long that was. When you think of all the mass acts of terrorism, mass shooters, almost exclusively white citizens. Not every time. Sometimes it's different. But Vegas odds are always on a white American male doing these acts, these mass shootings. Between 25 and 45. Terrorism is something we have. We don't need to import. We we create a, a an influx of it domestically. Again, it comes down to yeah, it happened once, but I mean, it, that's like the person who's scared of dogs because they got bitten once when they were five. It it's not it's not a real fear. It's not rational. Immigrants are not coming here to hurt you. Immigrants are coming here to maybe get a scratch at the wonderful life that you have so freely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we've experienced uh, as terrorism and fear in this country as a whole pales in comparison to what most of these people are fleeing. You've seen like these mass shootings. And again, I'm not trying to to minimize them. They are horrible, heinous acts. They are nothing compared to what the vast majority of these immigrants are fleeing from. That's why they want to come here. People wonder like why they risk so much, why they're willing to come over here and have shitty ass Donald Trump and shitty Joe Biden put their children in cages because that is still better than where they're coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's all these people want is a is a chance at a better fucking life. Jim Bob over there in Georgia likes to vote for Republicans and and all the wasps that are, you know, in middle America are scared of the brown people. They're constantly voting for representatives and laws that tell these people, no, you don't deserve a better life. We've got it and you can't have it. This idea that they're coming here to influx us, they're, they're coming here to take us over. It just isn't true. And even if you go by the numbers, right, like how many people like, OK, and, and where they're coming from, you know, the predominance of immigration from Latin America, and Asia in the late 20th century, you know, the early part of this century as well. In the first 20 years really contrasts with the trend of the last century. We're talking mid 1900s, right? World War Two era. At this time, immigrants are mostly European. And mostly WASP. Again, we're, we have lots of Italian and Irish immigrants, but we're really talking about Great Britain, France, Spain, that kind of area. By the 1960s, no, and this is you know post-war again, 1960s, no country, not a single one accounted for more than 15% of the U.S. immigrant population. So it was a pretty wide white people smear going on, right? And Italians at this point, by the time we hit the 60s, is where Italians become the top group. They were at 13% by 1960. And then Germans and Canadians after that at about 10%. You know, the border that nobody talks about or cares about. But it's, you know, we talk about just Mexican immigration, and that's not what's happening. That is a scapegoat. It is something to make white people afraid with their racist tropes. Origin countries that have at least 100,000 immigrants or more in the U.S., and this is the numbers I have here of 2019, right? Countries that are countries of origin that are giving us more than 100,000 people. Venezuela has an increase of 153% in the last decade. This is the increasing numbers. Venezuela is 153%. Afghanistan is 143%. Nepal is 140%. Myanmar, also known as Burma, where that coup is happening right now, 84% increase. And Nigeria, 79% increase in the last 10 years so this idea that mexico is swarming our borders is just completely incorrect 
you know, with, with Venezuela doubling and again, a half of that, it's 153%. This is not Mexican immigration. Burma's 84%, almost like Nepal, 140%. These are not, this is not an invasion from the South. And it's a bullshit racist trope. The biggest number of refugees coming here, uh, we got the Democratic Republic of Congo, number one, and we got Burma, Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Iraq are actually the number one countries of nationality, accounting for all the most of the refugees. That's 68% of refugees, okay, in 2020. 68% of refugees are coming from Congo, Burma or Myanmar, Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Uh, mostly coming here for things like religious persecution ethnic cleansing, that kind of thing. And if you want to round it out, the top 10 here, you've also got Syria, Iridia, El Salvador, Mondovia, and Sudan. That all rounds out our top 10 with 85% of the immigration as of 2020. But you don't hear about that on the news. You don't hear lawmakers talking about those nations and what's happening to these refugees. There's a huge backlog, right? You know, because of everything that Trump did and the limits that have been placed there over the last decade, um, I looked up the stats here. USCIS, who processes these, there's there's 350,000 affirmative cases pending. These are people who are seeking refugee status who will die if they don't get in. 350,000 cases are in the backlog. People that are waiting to be affirmed, and there's 570,000 pending asylum cases. But we have caps, and so they just sit there. These people sit in limbo waiting to get murdered. Because Congress has set up arbitrary caps on these. Now, if we're going to actually talk about, okay, then then where is this coming from? What is Trump talking about? What are the Republicans talking about? What are the, the, the Nazis and white nationalists? What are they talking about with this invasion from the South, right? So the big push at that border is from people who aren't racist and who are actually documenting this, like the UN and the immigration centers. It's called the Northern Triangle. And this is El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. These are the countries that are actually flooding in the refugees. People are not fleeing Mexico. There are some people in the border towns where we have created a cartel crisis, but that's a tiny number. Most Mexicans are very happy being in Mexico. Mexico is a alleyway for them to get here. Mexicans like Mexico. Mexicans have free health care. Mexicans have free education and actually a pretty decent standard of living. Mexicans have a national workers party that dominates the country. Mexicans are happy in Mexico. Who's not happy is El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. They're having a real bad time right now. We've heard in the news, we've seen stuff in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, this top three. Uh, we've seen them in the news. We've seen scary stuff. You've taken any kind of history classes in high school or anything that talked about these. We know there's a lot of violence. Despite seeing reductions in homicides in recent years, and we'll go into that, uh, that Northern Triangle, those Northern Triangle countries remain among the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, high rates of murder, cartel gang violence, especially involving the recruitment of children and child soldiers. Uh, mixed with extreme poverty and very corrupt leadership, have all contributed equally to this huge surge in unaccompanied children and families journeying to the border. People are literally pulling a Moses and sending their kids here in baskets and leaving them at the border just so they have a chance of not being slaughtered as children in their home countries. The Honduran and Guatemalan governments, um, they've actually been huge in the UN with totally undercutting all the anti-corruption efforts that are going on. Uh, these are mafia-run uh, nations. Guatemala forced into exile a former attorney general running for president and actually kicked him out of the country just for running an opposition party. Very similar to what you see in Russia right now. Uh, it's that same game. Uh, Honduran president Juan Orlando Hernandez is suspected of drug trafficking, and the president of El Salvador, uh, Bukele, has repeatedly ignored Supreme Court rulings of the UN. 
um, for exceeding his term limits. He's not even supposed to be there. And he's still there. This is the, you know, this is the corruption that's going on in their governments. And then there's also the issues of climate change that we in the industrialist world have caused. You've got a decade of shifting weather patterns, right? Which we've seen huge food insecurities happen through South America. Uh, we've had back-to-back Category 5 hurricanes hitting Central America uh, in just the last two years. The storms have destroyed farming, killed hundreds of thousands of livestock, and they've destroyed all the large-scale agriculture infrastructure. So now there's no food. You know, we talk about like, well, what about Puerto Rico's power system? It's like in Guatemala, they ran out of livestock because they literally got Kansas tornadoed. This the, the natural disasters have wrecked this area of Central America in the last two years because of climate change. And so and a lot of the people in these regions, because there's been a long history of migration, they have family ties here. And so they've sent their kids up here to hopefully get in as asylum seekers to maybe again survive this. The answer that I would say is clearly like just building a wall or something like that doesn't work. Love or hate Obama that was seen by the Obama administration. Uh, they sent in the Obama administration sent 750 million uh, in assistance to the Northern Triangle area to go back to the root causes of migration. This is after 2014. There was a huge uptick. This is when you saw those child detention centers get built by the Obama administration. Yeah. There was suddenly this huge, and you know, after the hurricanes came through and whomped everything, and everything got worse and worse, we started seeing a massive increase of children being left up here, and that's because of this. And so. $750 million was literally sent down there to help in rebuilding infrastructure, feeding people, getting rid of those insecurities of life. And it started working. It took a couple of years, but the efforts were beginning to actually work. Homicides were dropping. Uh, the most dangerous neighborhoods were becoming places where people could live and raise children. Anti-corruption commissions getting established internationally uh, were actually getting legway into the government. And then Trump fucked everything up. Uh, in May of 2018, Trump administration announces his zero tolerance policy to prosecute anyone crossing the border, treat every single asylum seeker as a criminal. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. Asylum seekers being treated like criminals for fleeing for their lives. And then in 2019, he completely killed the Obama relief program, abruptly sliced funding directly off. Money was coming in and it was going to the right areas. And it was immediately cessated. What do you think happens when money immediately stops flowing in, which is the only thing keeping the gangsters at bay? The gangsters rise to power again. And then when the program of admitting asylum seekers come, cuts at the same time, you get this log jam, like a, like a water hose in a cartoon, you know, just jams up the entire process. And something I'll give Biden credit for, yeah, he's the capitalist in chief, but Biden actually has recently announced, and I, I give him credit for this. He's currently seeking $4 billion in aid to these countries and not just to hand them a check. Here's where it gets really cool. And again, this is something I'll give Biden props on. This money comes with the contingency of anti-corruption work. Uh, NPR actually did a really good article on it. And the $4 billion would not go to any government leaders if it's approved by Congress. It has to go to communities directly, and it goes to UN international organizations to address economic opportunity, climate change mitigation, and inequality and violence. It actually has to get uh, doled out to third-party sources not in the country. That's great. Yeah. Which means the money doesn't go to some asshole sitting behind a desk. The money goes to feeding people and rebuilding cities. As well it should. And those are the minor causes. And, that's, and then we got to get to the elephant in the room because that is the hurricanes, that's the insecurities, that's the corruption that comes with a lot of areas. 
something we need to talk about, we touched on this on the war on drugs, is that this is 100% our fault. You know, these, these three countries where all of these refugees are coming for Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, right? We have a really nasty history. You can look up the Bush doctrines in South America. Um, the quick and dirty is if you look at Guatemala, uh, Guatemala's had a very, very long civil war. That's where all of this comes from. It can be traced back to 1954 when a coup against the democratically elected president, Cabo Arbenz, was backed by the U.S. Guatemalan military. So we basically paid for the Guatemalan military to overthrow the democratically elected president in 1954 because he wanted to keep the money inside of his own country and was acting a little too socialist. Because of that, an estimated 200,000 people have died between 1960 and 1996 in that civil war. Almost a quarter million people died because we needed cheap vegetables and didn't want to let the Ruskies have a say in what goes on in South America. Uh, and this has basically created 50 years of anti-democratic fascist violence and corruption. And it still goes on today in Guatemala. You have El Salvador, which is the worst of the three in terms of the sins of the United States. They're trapped in a cycle of violence that can be traced also right back to the civil conflict, which the U.S. was the protagonist. This is where we trained and funded right-wing death squads in the name of fighting communism. The U.S. contributed, uh, the, the total numbers, everything's iffy, because remember, a lot of this is CIA money. So the money that we've shipped to them is a little shaky. A lot of it we'll never know. A lot of this came from drug, drug money. This came from CIA black books. But what we do know is that we gave about $1 to $2 million per day to the government of El Salvador during the Carter and Reagan administrations. So during two presidential administrations that ran 12 years, Carter and Reagan, one to two million dollars per day on average, depending on who you go by. That's insane. That could have fed the world. E easily. Instead, we gave training to death squads. Uh, the Salvadorian government was considered friendly and an ally by the U.S. because of the Cold War. Uh, again, these were right-wing fascist murder squads. So the war lasted more than 12 years because we funded it. It never ended because the money never stopped coming in. Uh, and by 1983, uh, U.S. officers started taking over positions at the top level of the Salvadorian military and were actually making the critical decisions and running the war. Uh, it got so bad that the Salvadorian rebel government didn't even want to run the war anymore. And so literally, U.S. military ran the war from then on until it was finished. This included these decisions that we made after the U.S. took over the war, the recruitment of child soldiers and deliberate terrorizing and targeting of civilians by U.S. Salvadorian military death squads. And that's literally what they were called. Targets for the murder were socialists, uh, prominent clergy from the Catholic Church. And in this, we bombed churches, schools and any labor union that existed in the country. We just blew up every labor union and school that could have been housing Catholic children because they were in opposition to the war. And this is all with U.S. aid and encouragement. We completely had a hand in all of it. Anything to keep the Soviets from having an influence in El Salvador. I mean, if you and if you want to lose all faith in the U.S. on a day where you have a stronger stomach, look up the El Mazote massacre. Um, there's actually there's actually a book about it. It's really good. It's an investigative journalism piece. It's called Massacre at El Mazote. I highly recommend you read it. Uh, it's a short read. Uh, it's not easy. But not only did we supply and fund the massacre of an entire city of El Mazote, it was wiped off the earth. Everyone, the men, the women, even infants were shot. And then there was an organized rape of every single woman that survived the initial assault. And then we denied its existence and Reagan paid for the cover up. Take a look at that one. And even after the end of the war, gangs and organized crime filled that power vacuum, just like you usually see when you have a coup 
typically the worst actors become the head of the government. It's happened in Russia. It's happened everywhere. And that's what happened in El Salvador. So the worst people filled that vacuum. Uh, the president currently is a known mafia leader. Uh, the MS-13 gang, which is always referred to as Donald Trump to justify southern southern border racism, right, was formed in Los Angeles. MS-13 comes from L.A., and it was then brought to El Salvador because we just started randomly deporting people from Southern California. We deported American gang members to El Salvador, and then, of course, MS-13 grew. These people had never even been to El Salvador, but they got rounded up in deportations, and then MS-13 became an international gang rather than just a local one. And then rounding out those three is Honduras. Surprise, surprise, the U.S. did this. Manuel Zayeda, which is Honduras's reformist president, he was elected, and he was a total anti-corruption reformer, right? And in 2009, uh, the military ran a coup, and literally, you can watch this, they grabbed him out of his house in his pajamas and threw him on a helicopter and exiled him from the nation. If he flew him to Costa Rica, where he's lived in exile, uh, the Obama administration refused to call it a coup. Funny fact, so Hillary Clinton, who is a Secretary of State, if you can recall, under Obama, she has actually argued that to do so, to call it a coup, would have meant cutting aid at the expense of the Honduran poor. Basically said that if we call it a coup, then some aid won't go to some poor people. So that's why we're not going to do it. But in her memoir, which is called Hard Choices, you can this is this is all facts you can find, guys. Her memoir, Hard Choices, she actually admitted to working with the other Latin American governments to make sure that Zelaya would never return to power or come back into the country. In later editions, that was omitted. So you have to get the first edition of her book. But if you can get a first edition, she completely admits to being part of the coup in her own memoir. So this guy that, that was exiled, Zelaya, he'd been trying to resolve conflicts over uh, land allotment. Very, very similar to the Mexican Revolution. Uh, it was all local compenseros against huge agro-industries, often run funded by the U.S., of course. And after the coup, that conflict was militarized, and more than a hundred of these farmers were murdered. Organized crime completely took over the government, and the murder rate jumped. Uh, within a year, Honduras was the most violent country in the world that wasn't having a war. Now what we have today in Honduras is the current president, uh, Juan Hernandez, has further militarized the police force. And when he was actually in danger of losing his re-election bid in 2017 because everyone hates him, he had the opposition of uh, most of the leaders of the opposition party killed and murdered by the police, by the militarized police. Once that sham election took place after he literally murdered the opposition, Trump made sure to congratulate him publicly on his victory. That's because he's a real nice guy. This is what we're talking about. So I know that was a long tangent of sadness, but we have created these refugees. These conditions do not exist by chance. It is not that America is so great. No one else has figured it out. It is that we have literally meddled in these nations and destroyed them for profit and our own political bullshit. Surprise, surprise. When you destroy a nation's infrastructure and create military coups and it falls apart, people want to leave because they're going to die. They don't want their children. They don't want their 10 year old sons to be recruited as child soldiers. They don't want their 10 year old daughters to be stolen away in the night to be a child bride to someone. And they don't want to be slaughtered in the street and they don't want to starve to death because the cattle have all been killed. So they leave, they flee, they pack up the very few things they have, say a quick prayer and they get the fuck out of Dodge hoping against any hope that anywhere's got to be better than here. And they head North. Because they know that at least if they head north, the United States is a UN country that does accept some refugees and they'll try. And then they get here and we call them rapists and murderers and tell them they're ruining our culture. It all leads back to, I think it informs 
our listeners why we have the views we do. When you learn enough history, when you learn about reality, when you stop just watching MSNBC or CNN or Fox News and you actually learn the facts about the world we live in, you start to realize that this country was never fucking great to begin with. It was built on the backs of slaves. It was built with blood, sweat, and tears. And generally, it was done on the blood, sweat, and tears of people that were different colors than the ones running the country. Yep. Mm -hmm. To do all that, to meddle, and then not even have the decency to give these people a better life that we basically forced them out of their country by making it so horrible that nobody would ever want to live there. And then we've, we've said, oh, this is the greatest country in the world. Any immigrant can come here and make it. And then once they get to the door, we're like, no, not you guys. Sorry. Wrong, wrong shade of color for this country, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just needs to stop. You know, I want like we've gone over the horse shit from the right and left and pretty much all the bad faith arguments that have been made, the history of the bullshit that's caused this. But at the end of the day, what the most important part is, these are just people trying to get in this country for a better fucking life. We make it infinitely impossible for them to do it and then treat them like garbage when they decide to skirt our stupid ass walls and roadblocks. And for no reason other than jingoism and racism. I said this last episode. I do not like the vilification of Trump for doing things that are as American as apple pie. I vilify Trump for being a fascist. I vilify Trump for bringing out the worst in us, but everything he did has been done before and done worse. You know, the, everything we've done against, you want to talk about Latino and Latinx uh, immigration and refugee status is coming in from south of the border is nothing. It, it, it's all a drop in the bucket compared to what our presidents in Congress did in the late 1800s. In America, like to forget that we had a Chinese exclusion act. You know, the 1850s had a huge influx of Chinese immigration. China had gone through some serious hard times, massive population and famines. There was, you know, the end of the opium wars happened and they had a giant labor force. They were more than happy to ship out so those people could go work and send money home to support their families. There was just not enough going on in China. And they were mostly used for agricultural and railroad labor. We imported people from China to come in and work their asses off to the bone under slave conditions for slave wages. They were constantly killed, left for dead, died of disease, living in shacks and horrible conditions. And they built the railroads. They built our na- or they built the farms of the Midwest. You know, we like to think of America as the homesteaders, people who got a plot of land in a cabin and made a farm. Those people lasted a couple of years and then all got killed out by the Dust Bowl because the Midwest is a hard place to farm. Chinese people built the grain belt in this country, but then they became inconvenient. As Chinese laborers came in, they had kids. They became citizens and a lot of them became entrepreneurs in their own right, started running businesses, became successful. These people, again, we know immigrants work hard and because they're coming here to build a life these are not people who are living off of a, a you know multi-generational entitlement structure these are these are people who are willing to move and work their asses off to secure a good life for them and their children and that's what chinese immigrants did it was the same thing but as the number of chinese immigrants kept increasing so did the racist anti-chinese sentiment amongst americans america became overnight an incredibly we were already a racist country. We then transferred that racist energy we had into the Chinese immigrant, immigrant community, just like we've seen in the 20th century about Latino labor. 
that's what happened with Chinese people in the mid 1800s. And then by the end of it, uh, it was 1882, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, which completely suspended immigration of any Chinese labor, skilled or unskilled, for 10 years. The act also required every Chinese person traveling in or out of the country to carry a certificate identifying their status as a laborer, scholar, diplomat, or merchant. They had to have their papers at all times. And this was literally based only on race and their country of origin. And then a few years later, in 1892, before that 10-year period could go, Congress voted to renew the Exclusion Act for another 10 years in the Geary Act. And then in 1902, the prohibition was expanded to cover Hawaii and the Philippines. All over, this is all, the, the Chinese government never went along with this. This was completely over them. But yeah, we then I- increased it to Hawaii and the Philippines because racism. And then Congress extended the act indefinitely, meaning forever. Chinese people, Filipino people, Hawaiians can never immigrate here for any reason. And they must carry papers to second-class citizens. And this was not over any merit. This was simply because we were tired of so many Chinese people being here and we were afraid of them. This is just like Trump's Muslim ban was, but worse. By the way, these exclusion acts we're talking about, they weren't repealed until 1943. There are people alive today who were alive and adults when this was repealed. And the only reason we even did that was to make the Chinese happy because we needed them as allies in World War II. It was a political stunt. Anything we are currently doing now even pales in comparison to that. This country has a brutal, awful, racist history with immigration. Anyone who is not Northern European WASP, those groups have always been seen as other and been mistreated and killed and left for dead. If I can bore your ear holes with one more interesting piece of history on this one, it's often referred to as the Voyage of the Damned, but it's the MS St. Louis, which sounds like an American name. It's actually a German ship. It's the MS St. Louis. It was a German ship filled with Jewish refugees who were fleeing Nazi Germany in uh, in 39. And this was directly because of Kristallnacht, which anybody who doesn't know, there was, a, there was literally a day of just outright it was basically the purge in nazi germany where the sa went on an actual jewish purge destroying businesses burning down synagogues and like you know thousands of people were arrested and it was kind of the final straw where it was like oh shit the nazis aren't fucking around that boat had 937 passengers and they had all arranged for cuban passports they paid the money now to even get a passport out of Germany when you were a Jew was almost impossible. People were literally ripping their gold fillings out of their teeth, selling their property, selling everything they had just to get a visa to get to Cuba, where they would hope to be able to survive long enough to get entry into the U.S. That's what it took to even try to get out of Germany if you were Jewish. Uh, because Germany had no interest in, in deporting you anymore. Germany was interested in you dying. So it was very difficult. So 937 people got these Cuban passports commissioned a ship. I mean, these people spent every single penny they had, called in every favor. They boarded the ship with the clothes on their back and had nothing. And when they got to Cuba, where they had already paid for and had their Cuban passports, Cuba went, never mind, go fuck yourselves. And completely held the boat off, would not let them dock. Uh, And the boat had to sit there off Havana for a week, desperately trying to get this situation sorted out. And it didn't work. Cuba refused. So then they sailed to Miami, pleading with the U.S., for asylum status, saying we're starving, we're dying, please, dude, you know, we cannot go anywhere. And they were denied because of a quota system. Does that sound familiar? We were only letting 27,000 people from Germany and Austria into the United States that year. And we had already filled our quota, so they couldn't come. The refugees also applied to land in Canada. They, they went for both of them. 
But the prime minister refused. And I actually have a quote here. The immigration minister, Frederick Blair, his statement was, if these Jews were to find a home in Canada, they would be followed by other shiploads. The line must be drawn somewhere. Wow. So the U.S. Coast Guard followed the ship to make sure no one tried to jump and swim over and literally forced them out of U.S. waters. And they went sailing back to Europe with nothing. A few of them on the way found some immigration via family and that kind of thing in some non-German occupied nations. Uh, but most of them did not. And when the ship landed back in Germany, they were rounded up by the Gestapo and completely arrested immediately for being Jewish. And by the end of the war, just over one third of the passengers had, or had been killed in concentration camps. This is the history of immigration in the U.S. This is not a new problem. This is not a Trump problem. This is not a Republican problem. A Democratic president did that sent a boat full of people to go get gas chamber. This is an American problem. We have these lies that we tell ourselves and allow the powerful and wealthy to tell us that be afraid of that other. Be afraid of that immigrant who wants your job, who's going to destroy your livelihood. Again, like I said earlier, if your job is getting taken by cheap immigrant labor, it is your boss who has screwed you. They're here to make America great. America is an immigrant nation founded by people who were trying to make a decent life and to shit on them for coming over here because you had the luck of being born on this hemisphere is the most repugnant idiotic statement ever and anyone who is flat out anti-immigration for its own sake is not someone who's capable of any kind of critical thought in my opinion you know and to uh kind of wrap this up one thing that we also have to keep in mind too we're, we've taken this from the high level. We've taken it from, you know, the historical level. We've taken it from, you know, uh, myths that we've debunked. I'm the product of an immigrant. And I mentioned this once before. My fam my mother is first generation. She immigrated here from Argentina when she was three years old. So did my aunt. So did my grandma. They, for the most part, had the lived the American dream. They immigrated here because they were tired of living in Argentina where shit was getting bad. If you want a really fun history lesson is look up everything about uh, Argentina and why that stupid Madonna movie is horseshit and should not be believed for anything. But it, I digress. They came to this country and they did everything they were supposed to. But the reason they were able to do it is because they had money and because they were accepted because as you may have guessed from our pixel art, I look very white, as does my mom, as does my grandmother, as did my grandfather. We aren't the typical brown people that you would expect to see coming from Mexico. We're very, very white, Spanish-speaking family. I'm not. My mother is. And they were easily able to assimilate. But despite that, my grandmother, who has a very thick accent, I was there when she was in this country legally, and she was told several times when I was young by people that she needed to learn English. Want to know why? Because she was speaking Spanish to somebody who was Spanish on the street. This racism that's here is pervasive. It didn't just start happening, like Chris said, because of Trump. It's existed. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say my family was treated poorly. They weren't. This, these instances happen, but they were few and far between. It's not the multitude of my life, but... My grandmother, for all intents and purposes, is a white passing, you know, straight woman. And she got it the moment she opened her mouth and had an, dared have an accent. When people get here from other countries and it happens on them getting a rival, like we were talking about that Voyage of the Damned. My family history is very similar. Uh, I'm yeah. second generation American. Boy, when my grandfather, my grandfather was born here. That would make you third. It, it depends on the side of the family because my grandmother was not born here. So 
second or third. So I guess yeah, technically I'm third generation American. Uh, I'm third generation American. Uh, my grandfather, when he came here, or he, he was born here, his parents came here fleeing anti-Semitism in Europe. My grandfather's parents were um, Roma. Uh, they were Jewish from Romania. And that's a double bad when the Nazis come around. They don't like the Roma, and they sure as hell don't like Jews. So being Jewish gypsy, they got the hell out of Dodge. This is pre-World uh, War II. And got over to Ellis Island, fleeing persecution. They made it. Uh, the rest of their family, who didn't want to leave yet, by the time things got bad, a decade or two later, it was too late. And they were the only surviving members of that entire family line. The rest of my family line was wiped out in the Holocaust. Because the United States and most of the Western world shut their doors to Jews fleeing persecution. This is what happens when you don't allow refugees in. Europe is going through the same thing we are. We're, we're having this problem with Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador with this refugee crisis. They're having the same thing with Syria. We have major Syrian refugees happening all over Europe. And that's because of the Syrian civil war, which guess what? Is a war being fought by NATO and Russia on both sides. We meddle and we slaughter and it creates refugees. And then we have the balls to shit on refugees for trying to survive. And that is the hypocrisy of our situation. And that's why these conversations are important. We cannot forget the history we have with immigration and we can't forget the sources of immigration. And we need to recognize that immigrants are fantastic, wonderful, hardworking people with families who are trying to survive and thrive in the world. They are not your enemies. They are your brothers and sisters. And we need to talk about it. And we need to talk intelligently about it. And we all need to have these conversations and not swallow the BS that's being fed to us about an immigrant problem at the border. The only problem at the border with immigration is our government getting in the way. Well, I think you hit on it there too, Chris. This has been kind of an underlying thing, I think, through all of our episodes so far. But it's something that bears emphasizing. This needs to turn from us having these divisions of race and culture and, and all these other bullshit things that don't really divide us when you get down to it. And we, as the working class in this country, need to stand up, unite, and take back the country for ourselves. Because that's really what this is. These, this bullshit rhetoric you hear from people like Donald Trump, that's meant to divide us. It's meant to make you think that every problem you have is from the other person that's different from you. The problems in this country will never be solved until we can put this bullshit aside and unite and take it back from the people that are really destroying it, which is the wealthy, the elite, and the powerful. Workers of the world unite. Okay, we started. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where that comes from. That, that sentiment comes from this ridiculous jingoism that the Western world likes to have towards immigrants and anybody who might be different which is really rich coming from a nation founded by immigrants slaughtering the indigenous people and actually flooding it. Amen, yeah. brother. Amen. Speaking of people flooding in, who's been talking to us? We, we've got two this week. First one is a comment from last week's episode from our listener, Mary Riley. Uh, this is a comment on episode 23, the last one we did, uh, where you and Kay got into a bit of a debate. That doesn't sound like us. No, not at all. I, I don't recall the... Uh... The events in question. Yeah. So from uh, Mary Riley, this one's hard to listen to the first half. It feels like my two leftist parents are arguing. <laughs> <laughs>
I will say I feel like I'm more in agreement with Kay. I think Trump's handling of the pandemic was has a bigger impact than we could ever truly know uh, since it's already happened and there's no way to know uh, how it would have been if someone else was president at the time. So I get why it can be hard to argue it. But in my opinion, I think it's very clear that if he had handled it better, that a lot less deaths would have occurred. And And you know what? I get what you're saying. Uh, one thing I will clarify, uh, Chris wasn't saying that nothing would have happened if it wasn't for Trump. He's just saying that the amount is not as big as it was blowing up, if I'm understanding. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with Kay and Mary uh, that Trump absolutely had a negative, terrible effect. I think the liberals tend to blow it a bit out of proportion. and I mean, They tend to be a little hyperbolic about it. I take a little bit of offense to that in terms of uh, where that information came from Mm -hmm. uh, was not necessarily from a liberal source. The Lancet is absolutely liberal source. The Lancet commission, a bunch of doctors. Yes. And liberals in the best ways. I like the Lancet commission. They're fantastic, but they are not conservatives and they are not moderates and they are not leftists. They are liberals. They are science communicators. They're, yeah, they're doctors and scientists is, is my point on that. They are doctors and scientists who publish and are scientific communicators, which are almost always liberals. Okay. And that's okay. <laughs> so, Again, that's, that's something that is actually brought good into the world from liberalism. Liberalism tends to do things like breed scientific literacy. That's actually a boon that I will give to liberals. Liberals tend to be scientific educators and communicators which is a good thing, but it is definitely slightly politically motivated. And the scientific community is politically motivated against Trump for decent reason. He has made himself an enemy of the scientific community. It's like CNN used to be an impartial news network, or I mean, they were still American. They were still a propaganda piece. But in terms of conservative versus liberal, left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, CNN really tried to stay in the middle. And then Trump was like, you know who sucks? CNN. CNN was like, all right, fuck that guy. And impartiality was completely gone. Is that CNN's fault? Sure, they have culpability, and that's a shame to see them go that way. But Trump picked that fight. He absolutely picked a fight with CNN. You can't be surprised when they're against him. Trump picked a fight with the scientific community and doubled down at every opportunity. He was an absolute enemy to all scientists. And Mary Riley has just reignited a fight that we thought we put down from a week ago. So thank you for that, Mary Riley. I still love you. We love you. And Kay and I are 99% in agreement on most of the stuff. So absolutely. He is still an ally and a comrade to me. Yes. (laughs) And this is one of those rare instances where I'm neutral. I actually, I think both parties have valid points and I don't care enough about the topic to weigh in on the debate. And again, this is, this is the kind of thing where it is good to agree to disagree. And that's yeah. okay because we're not talking about whether or not Muslims deserve to die or whether or not people seeking immigration status deserve to die or whether or not it's okay to let Nazis storm the Capitol. Like there are things that it's not okay to agree to. Whether or not we think there's a political bias in a news source, that's an okay thing to have a debate on and disagree with all the time. That's okay. The next one is from Elizabeth and Rebecca from Twitter. Uh, their username is at embarrassed underscore pod. I believe they're another podcast. I haven't listened to them, but they tagged us. I guess we kind of showed up in their list because of Windsor and Brit from thanks. I hate it. They were listeners of theirs. And I guess because they listened to them, they got turned on to us. And so they gave us a shout out on Twitter. I wanted to kind of say thank you to them 
But they gave us a couple nice things. One, I guess they were going through our episode list because they referenced the uh, religion episode because you said, whoever said the Episcopalians are sane, thank you so much. Chris, I think that was you. That was me, yeah. Yeah. That was. That was, that uh, was. I'm, a cradle, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. Actually, Rebecca is a Methodist. So I guess this is Elizabeth talking to us. So we appreciate your vote of confidence. Which is funny. Those are the two churches that Kay and I were raised in. Kay was raised a Methodist and I was raised an Episcopalian. And, and I think those are the most two sane religions, yeah, if or sects, I should say, uh, of the big like Catholic Apostolic churches, the big you know organized gigantic denominations. Yeah, they they those tend to be the most liberal, the most progressive, and and the least fundamental of them. And they had, tend to actually have the most outreach uh, in their communities. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you saw a Methodist with a rainbow sign? saying which slurs God hates. And I don't remember the last time I saw I, I saw an Episcopalian joining a Klan rally. Yeah, it's because it doesn't happen <laughs> exactly. often. I'm not going to say it never happens. but And I really like that because she posted that. And again, I'm guessing this is Rebecca, by the way, she's writing this. And then I think it looked like about an hour or so later, or maybe less, I get a second tweet from, from the same person. In fact, I just texted my mom that quote, who was a former Methodist and current Episcopalian, because I knew she would love it, and she did. So, and then she follows up later on with another tweet later on. Guess I'm adding the alt left pod to my rotation because I thoroughly enjoyed their informed views, especially in relation to the vaccine. By the way, I am fully vaxxed, even gave them a five-star review on iTunes because the reviews help. So thank you to Elizabeth and Rebecca. And the vaccine be with you. And also with you. Amen. (laughs) And again, another shout out to, um, I'm calling right now. I'm escalating the friendship, our sister podcast. Thanks. I hate it. Everyone go take a listen. Windsor and Britt are amazing. Windsor, Britt, our sister podcast. Thanks. I hate it. You've been upgraded. We're claiming you. We're adopting you. Please adopt us back. We love you. And and that's where we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we could talk about immigration for 10 hours, but um, if any of you are still awake at this point, probably have a sore butt. So go enjoy your time. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Thank you for being here with us. There is actually some cool new content coming down the pipeline. The schedules are getting a little more freer and we're going to start doing some more bonus content, doing some more recordings. We got some big heavy hitting topics that literally I, poor Matt has been frothing to get a few <laughs> topics out there, but I was like, literally I said, no, I need, yeah. I need finals to be over. I need the semester to be over because I actually want to devote some serious research time into them before I sound like an asshole. Chris has finally learned that you can't work a full-time job, hang out with your friends, appease your girlfriend, and take like 18 units at school all at the same time. And have a podcast. You can. Most people just spend eight hours a night lying there in their beds doing nothing. There's Those are useful hours. If you're just willing to sacrifice sanity and cry a lot. There are 24 usable hours in the day, and God bless it if he doesn't use 20 of them. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Like, let me just tell you, I'm, I'm you know what? I'm going to do it right now. Shout out to you, Chris, because <laughs> let me tell you, folks, this guy has been busting his ever-loving ass this semester. The fact that we even were able to consistently put out episodes is a miracle because this guy is working his butt off. And anybody that engages with Chris on Twitter, because it is it is him on Twitter now or on Instagram, give him a shout out and show him some love because this guy's kicking some ass and taking some names. Well, I appreciate it. I couldn't have done it without my best friend, Caffeine. There's a lot of rock star consumed in this uh, and, and the support of my two favorite people in the world, uh, Matt and Kay. You guys are just, you are you are beautiful and I love you both. And I am almost done. The light at the end of the tunnel. We are finishing this history degree right now. Uh, so everything's going to be great. And anyway, I love you all. More is to come. Stick with us. Thank you for being here with us. We love you. And until next week, 
Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, the revolution is you.